boils and ghouls. Turn out the lights. And keep the popcorn coming. Because it's time for another episode of Fright Fights Podcast. Fright Fights Podcast. Get ready for your gore gang. Tyler Cavett, Chris Lax, and Mike McKinney tackling horror news, reviews, and fight for their survival. Coming to you from the Fright Fights Fear Lodge. Get ready to sink your fangs into a battle that will make your blood run cold. This is Fright Fights. Is Fright Fights. I'm Tyler, and welcome to Fright Fights. This week's episode is all about the sweet smell of blood, as the Fright Fights crew pulls out the slab for some 90s slashers. But before that, my fellow Gore Gang members, Chris Lax and Mike McKinney. How's it going, guys? Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's been an entire week, and I'm ready to talk about horror films, and I cannot wait to get started on the 90s slasher battle we got prepared for everybody today. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, such a great time frame, the 90s. And Mike's and, uh, definitely going to lose. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Um, thank you for putting that out there. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll slash your tires later. So, uh, <laughs> but no, man. And also a big shout out to everyone that's uh, given us a like on uh, social media. That's huge. And all the followers, we appreciate it. Yeah, everybody from Belgium, uh, that one person yeah. from Belgium that listens. <laughs> Every, everyone from Belgium, I really like it. And then a big shout out to a guy that I worked with, I hate him, name's Thomas. But other than that, guys, <laughs> J- JK, love the guy, love the guy. But hey, there no, was a guy sh- from Brussels, too. So we actually have two, we, we have yeah. two of them. So it's, we're, we're moving out. So I, I put out there too. I wanted everybody to, I wanted the, the listeners or viewers or whatever to get involved with the show as well. And I wanted them to send in questions that we would answer out on the show regarding us. Just they ask us anything they want. We'll answer it on the show. Mm-hmm. And um, a coworker of mine kind of took it a little off. He thought he was just going to ask us like trivia questions that we would give the answer to on the show, oh, which was really talking funny. About Benji? Benji? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Benji. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he sent us a message and uh, he asked us what the first movie was that Annabelle made the appearance in, Annabelle the doll. And uh, so I just want to go ahead and give that uh, that answer really quickly. Is We all know that the first movie wasn't Annabelle. It was actually The Conjuring, the James Wan mm-hmm. film. Um, yep. Annabelle, the Annabelle doll shows up in that film along with The Conjuring 2 plus the Annabelle movies. And I believe uh, The Curse of La Llorona was also, um, she made an appearance in that as well. Um, I did not so know there's that. A, there's a few things that, uh, that that the Annabelle doll has been in. So that whole Conjuring universe is pretty much the start of that doll. So Benji, yeah. there's your answer. The Conjuring was the first film. Um, but yeah, anybody that is listening, feel free to to go to our Facebook page and send us a message. You can ask us any question that you want that's related to horror films uh, or to us in general, and we will answer them on the show. Or we'll we'll give you your name a shout out and everything. So um, yeah. so there's that. Well, hey guys. Also, um, while we're on the topic, 
just a quick hot take. What is your favorite film that Annabelle appears in? Just off the top of your head. Talking, you talking to the viewers or to us? To, no, to you guys. What to do you, you guys? Man. Out of the Conjuring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say probably that because that's the most rememberable of of them to me, to be honest, because Conjuring was, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. Um, yeah. So just sh- short and sweet would be the conjuring. Um, just the, the start of it all. So mine is a little bit of a hot take probably, but I really, really like this film. It's called Annabelle comes home. It was the third one of the Annabelle series. Have you guys seen that one? Sounds like a yeah. Christmas movie. Like Annabelle <laughs> comes home. Uh, it almost sounds like a Hallmark, a Hallmark movie. Yeah, like okay. <laughs> no, dude, don't so don't get me started on Hallmark movies. Oh my god! No, <laughs> I'm like, telling like you them. guys, it is so no, no. so good. Okay, so oh, Tyler, gosh. so you missed out. Me and Mike uh, took a trip down. Uh, the the Fright Frights crew, minus you, took a trip down to Camp Landing Theater for a special Fright Fest screening of the new film, The Invitation. So oh, I know that you were, <laughs> I know you were wanting to check it out with us, but you couldn't make it. Um, but the the movie itself was. Basically, it's like a Hallmark movie. Somebody did a review for it online and said, this is like watching a Hallmark version of a horror film. And I think me and Mike looked at each other during the middle of the movie and was like, man, this this review is spot on. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so, um, so I don't know. If, if people don't know what the movie's about, uh, Mike, if you want to give kind of a brief description of what it is, and then we'll go into our actual take of what we thought of the film, because this is going to be separate from our actual battle. We're having a 90s slasher battle later on in the show, but we have a few movies that we did watch. We want to do a quick review on uh, while uh, we get prepared for that. So, Mike, go ahead and take it away. Really, it's just about a woman that... Um that is going through a hard time. Um, she recently lost her mother. I think it was about a year before the movie uh, that takes place in the movie. And Chris, if I, if I miss, if I miss anything, you please jump in and correct me. But um, woman lo- uh, lost her mom. I think it was cancer and was wanting to find extended family. She didn't have any family left. And basically, she's just researching. Um, she's struggling financially. I think she was like a like a server, and um, it was really weird how this took place. Though the movie was very fast paced, so if you go to watch it, you, you got to keep keep up with it. But uh, back to the the individ- back to the woman looking to uh, find family, and a friend of them get. They, they find like this gift bag. They, they take it home and then the gift bag, there is a, um, whatchamacallit, a, um, <laughs> a DNA test. <laughs> yes, basically. Yes. I'm sorry. A DNA 23 and me to see if, she, right. <laughs> but it's a DNA test to, to locate, um, family like a, around, around the world, you know? And then so happen, she does have some family members alive, like some, what was it? Cousins or, nephew or cousins yeah. or something so like she, that in England. she gets a, a message from somebody that is in England uh, who happens to be her, who claims to be her cousin so her friend is like hey this is your only chance to meet family that you've never met before why don't you go ahead and and meet up with them 
and see how everything goes. And yeah, uh, what happens from that, Mike? Well, it really gets bad um, afterwards, <laughs> in my opinion. So um, she meets up with this individual for lunch, the so-called cousin, and um, they sit down for lunch. Next thing you know, woman doesn't even give it really much thought. She jumps on board, goes to the airport, and she's going to England. And next thing you know, like she's going to this huge, huge mansion um, where they're getting ready for a wedding. And she supposedly is, was it a cousin that she was getting, that was getting married or some relative that was getting married is why she was going. Was that it, Chris? Yeah, there was, there was a supposedly two relatives that were getting married and, the yeah. oldest of the relatives wanted everybody to be there and be involved in the wedding for like the one time only event. Um, so she just thought she was there and she felt like royalty because it was in this big fancy mansion and the Lord of the mansion didn't like, he wasn't the, uh, he wasn't any of the family members, but he was just the owner of the place they were getting married at. And everybody is kind of conjugating in this whole entire mansion. As far as the family goes, and but something's off. Something doesn't seem right. Um, and just things take a turn for the worse because people start disappearing. Well, not really disappearing, but getting attacked by kind of like an unknown force. Uh, there's like two or three different scenes with that. And then she keeps seeing these things in her bedroom. Uh, yeah. The Lord of the house starts having a romance with her, which was really quick. It was like a one day romance, was- which was odd. Um, but from that point on, you find out that uh, this is spoilers for everybody as well. Sorry. But from that point on, you find out that, um, there are vampires in the family and the vampires are wanting to, what it is, is the vampire clan is stronger if there are in series of threes. So the Lord who is the vampire takes like what are three different wives from three different families to complete a unique version of a blood symbol of some sort. I'm not sure exactly what they were going for with that, but apparently it makes them stronger by having the three types of bloodlines together. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very odd. Um, when the movie started, it felt like we were already in the middle of the film. It jumps right into it and you don't know where where the people are you don't know what they're doing or why they're there and as mike mentioned earlier when he was talking about the dna test um they're literally at like a a big fancy restaurant and they're they're just servers of some sort and the lady is like hey i grabbed a swag bag and she's like oh cool i can't wait to get home and see what's inside she said oh i've already looked at it there's a dna test inside it's like whoa what <laughs> and, and, and like what kills me about this is like here she has like it's such a fast-paced movie that this woman is like it, i think there's a bill laying on her table like she's past doing rent but by god she can afford to do the dna test and have it sent off and go out and like to these fancy restaurant it it just did not make sense it, it was how should i put this it felt it being horror. It felt it being a romance. If anything, you could go in and like, it, it's more of a mystery. I would say it's like a mystery movie because the whole time you're wondering like, who are these people? Like, 
how like I knew if I just met somebody in my family, I wouldn't like just hop aboard and go over to another country with them barely knowing them. But kind of like Chris said, um, it I can't even say it had potential. It, it really didn't because, bam, you were thrown in the middle of this woman's life. You really didn't get to see the loss of her mom. It it just from opening scene to the ending scene, it's a lot to process. And it, like I said in the beginning, it 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 majorly misses horror, majorly. If it does have anything, it's I wouldn't even call it romance. It's more of an obsession that the main individual, the main vampire sees the potential in this woman that he wants her to be his bride, his next partner to overtake, I guess, the throne or however you can say it. But it's not even a mystery. It's more more like a rape, like in a way. It's like, you're going to do this. You're going to be my wife. And it's um, it's just really done badly. Um, yeah, it was, rating, it, it was it was it was it was a lot going on. At the exact same time, nothing was happening. Like there was so yeah. much stuff to focus on, but you just nothing happened and nothing led to anything. There's a chase sequence where this lady is running away from the castle or the mansion or whatever, and the camera is focused on her as she's running, but then nobody's even like around her to see her. So she just goes into a building and then somebody comes in and looks around and leaves and then she leaves. And it's like nothing happens from the chase. And it's just a lot of buildup for nothing happening for anything, really. It was extremely it, boring. It just seemed like all the transitions in the movie were like a bit like clunky. You know, it just it left you wondering, like, what how did it get to this point? And she literally just I mean, it just it was very it wasn't written well. Like I said. Now some of the the the, the scenes the uh, CGI, like, you know, the quality, it was well shot, don't get me wrong, because it was more on a top performance level on, you know, money-wise. But, God, the, the writing was just, was bad. Was very, yeah. very bad. Writing and story was the worst part. Yeah, like, as Mike was saying, the the cinematography and everything was, was well done. It wasn't a badly made movie. But it was just something that was just extremely slow paced, extremely boring for n not really any outcome for you. You didn't care about any of the outcome. It was just all around just a really boring, boring film from start to finish. It, it, it was really fast paced with nothing in between to kind of get you interested. It was just a lot of just boring stuff. But apparently they are bringing out. Uh, for the home market for like streaming services and DVD and Blu-rays, they're bringing an R-rated cut because what we saw in theaters was a PG-13 cut, uh, which was mm. odd because I don't know if you noticed, but there's a scene in the film where one of the ladies jumps into a swimming pool and it tries yeah. its best to cut away from all the different angles of like what would be nudity and stuff. And um, I think that you can easily tell that it was supposed to be an R-rated cut. And uh, when does this come out? I'm asking for a friend. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all together with the movie being as slow as it was, uh, it wasn't anything memorable at all. I would give it a three out of ten. Yeah. Um, 
the filming was done well. I will give credit when credit's due. The filming was done well. Um, the atmosphere, like the 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 house, the mansion, um, those those images or the 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 shooting of those, it was done well. I'll, I will be honest. I did like one character in the movie. It was the butler. I thought the butler played a very well creepy guy. Um, I I give it a I give it a three point five. It, it's just because it failed on horror. It failed on like a romantic level, um, and honestly, it even failed on a like a, a mystery. If it hit one of those topics and just stuck with it, like if it hit one of those and just stayed with being a horror movie or a romantic, like a Twilight in a way or a mystery. But I don't think even the director knew what he was wanting to do. So I get a three point five. Oof. Yeah, the best thing about our screening of The Invitation was before the movie, me and Mike got to do a uh, 3D killer clown like shooting ride game where we got to hold, like you said, in one of those chairs and the chairs vibrate and move and you shoot at the 3D screen. Um, you try to kill all the clowns. We got to do that before the movie started, and that was a lot of fun. That was probably the best part about the, the, the viewing that we had. It's amazing. I no, I mean, Mike, it, by the way, Mike had no, um, <laughs> Mike had like hardly, well, he be, I beat him by just a few points. I'll say that. Um, not that anybody was keeping tasks, but exactly 89 points. So there will be a rematch. <laughs> there, there will be a rematch. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you guys watched the film. So you took one for the team. So I didn't have to. That's all I needed to know. Just <laughs> helping you out, Ty. Helping you thank out, you. Helping out a friend. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, um, it's it sounds like a lifetime movie, and it's kind of funny because I heard the same thing before you guys had seen it, and I had watched the trailer, and I'm telling you that just from that trailer, you could tell how like cheesy it almost was, and the, the way the story was told. So, um, I'm glad to see that it lived up to its its hype of being a lifetime movie for theaters. So that's nice. But um, while you guys were watching that, the next night I had a chance to finally sit down to rewatch a movie that I had been wanting to rewatch for a very long time. Um, it actually it's kind of interesting because this film has a cult following now. It was it wasn't necessarily underseen at the time, but it was very underappreciated. Um, I think that a lot of people went and saw it, kind of forgot about it, and then slowly it built up all this hype. And it is called Orphan um, from two thousand nine. Yeah. Yeah, you guys watch it. It's um, it. it's it's um, I absolutely cannot say enough good about the film. But honestly, revisiting it, I did notice a few things. Knowing the the big twist at the end, and I will be talking about the twist at the end. So if anybody has not seen Orphan uh, from the past fifteen years that it's been out, almost definitely skip ahead. Um, but I have to say, Orphan itself being a film produced by a company called dark sky entertainment um it's founded by like robert zemeckis and a couple other guys these guys were doing so many crazy things at the beginning of the early mid and late aughts with horror i can't even begin to describe like all like the crazy budgets they had and how popular their films have become they did films from like ghost ship they were doing um Help me out, guys. They had a ghost ship. They had Orphan, of course. They had um, 13 Ghosts. Did they do... Um, what else did they do? They did House of Wax. 
I was going to say, was wasn't House of Wax one of them? Oh, yeah. And they were all like super fun, super high budget yeah. horror films, especially because horror had been getting a pretty small budget from the you know 80s and 90s. So Orphan definitely was not an exception with that. Um, essentially, we have a story of a family that is grieving at the very beginning. Um, the mom is haunted by images of like this daughter that they wanted to have. And she had a miscarriage and was basically being plagued by the fact that she wanted this daughter that she couldn't have. And they are just filthy rich. Like these people are just like, they live in like a three story, like mansion, a completely modern setting. And they drive the best cars. They do like the best things. So the thing is, is that they wanted to adopt. They decided that they were stable enough that they were ready to take that next step. And they go to this orphanage and they see a bunch of kids out playing and having a good time. And they notice that there's this one little girl upstairs painting. And this little girl is very reclusive, very smart acting. Like she acts like she does have her wits about her. She seems like a person that's definitely not belonging in an orphanage. Um, very much so like where is her family? Because she had like a lot of culture behind her. You could really tell. And the family kind of takes interest in her and asks them, uh, basically asks the girl to come home to live with them and, and sons of paperwork and the rest is history. She moves into the house. Um, the kids that they already have kind of doesn't really accept her. They want to accept her, but her daughter's mute as well. So they kind of like become a little bit of a acquaintance more so than the brother does. And then they start noticing that some of the things that um, the orphan, her name's Esther, does is she starts acting very strange. She starts saying things that's a little off. She starts saying things with a little bit like adult themes to them. Um, and eventually what happens is they start seeing tragedy spring up. And little by little, the film progresses without giving too much away if you're interested in seeing it. We find out, I mean, just spoiling it all at once here, but um, we find out at the end that Esther is actually, in fact, not a little girl um, from the orphanage, but she is a 30-some-year-old woman from Russia, and she had previously killed her past um, like foster family in a house fire. No one made it out but her, and she's basically seeking revenge um, not revenge, but she's kind of like seeking like she's like sociopathic, psychopathic. So it's not really necessarily a revenge story. It's more so kind of like a, a power story, I guess you would say. There's really, there's a lot of driving forces behind her like insanity, but for, for the most part, nothing really to target this family. And some of the things that Esther does throughout is absolutely batshit bonkers crazy. I mean, she almost like, she basically her stillborn daughter, the mom played by Vera Farmiga, um, they planted her ashes in this plant and she like takes this crazy interest in this plant. And she's like, you know, as long as this plant grows, my daughter will still be with me. And for spite, one day Esther goes out there and like cuts the fucking plant off. Like literally he's like, I picked these flowers for you, mommy. I'm like, wow. While it's such like a nice gesture, like from the front facing pretty much it's absolutely just devilish yeah. to be able to do that. It's nuts. So it's just, it was just insane really to watch a story like that. And essentially the first like three quarters of the film, they are saying it's Vera Farmiga. I forgot her name, but the mom, 
in the story they're like oh yeah it's actually her alcoholism and her grief from the past and esther's just a sweet little you know innocent girl that's just wanting a family to love so it, it's insane um the twist i mean if you guys have seen it you guys already know the twist at the end the very first time you watch it is absolutely crazy um i will say it does get a little bit cheesy certain times like as i watched it the first time i never picked up on any of that but this time it was a little bit more in your face with like the the writing being a little off there was some like kind of off kilter jokes as well that i really didn't get but for the most part i mean it was it was pretty solid i think that it's it's definitely up there with one of the top five dark sky entertainment films that had a pretty decent budget that was pretty successful when it came out so um my rating for it would be seven out of 10. I would definitely um, recommend checking it out. And the reason I rewatched it was because um, first kill that's the prequel. I guess it may follow. I don't know much about the prequel, but I'm speculating that it's probably going to be following the family that she was with before. And the same girl who played um, Esther is coming back. She came back for the sequel. So that's out in theaters now. I have not watched it, but I will definitely see it and report back to you guys when I thought about it. Nice. Uh, Orphan was was a always a great movie. Uh, it was very underrated. Yeah. Not a lot of people talk about it, but it's always one of those movies. Whenever somebody does mention it, everybody that's you know listening or talking about it is always like, "Yeah, that is a really good movie." I like the uh, I like the husband in the movie. Uh, was it Peter Sharsh Sharsgard or something like that? Sharsh, can't find <laughs> I'm, I'm butchering the butchering the last Peter, name. I think Peter Skarsgård. That's it. Like What's like him as an name? actor. Peter Sharsgard. <laughs> yeah, this. Uh, he's, Mike uh, I, I, Yeah, <laughs> I, I really I really like him as an actor. But yeah, Orphan overall, when you first see it, it blows your mind because you know. At first, you think it's just a little girl that's really messed up, but coming to find out, she's—I mean, she's a thirty-year-old little woman, you know. <laughs> so, like, it's kind of freaks you out. It's um, um, it's a well-shot movie. It's very dark, you know, very messed up. But I will agree. I get—you said you gave it a seven. I, seven. I'd probably give it a—I'd I'd give it like a six point eight, close to a seven. It's a good one. Oh, definitely okay. a good one. Yeah, you know, the, the I twist is the twist is something that you know it came out of nowhere. Nobody really expected that, and mm-hmm. I think they did a really good job when that movie came out of keeping it under wraps, not spoiling anything. I think if it came out today, you know, but a month before, everybody would already know what the ending was. Um, so they did a really good job with that, and it was very surprising, very well made movie, very creepy little little girl in it. Um, I give it a seven out of ten as well. So nice. Yeah, really good. I love my favorite scene is whenever she's at the very end of it. I don't know if you guys remember, but she goes in like full fledged, like sexy, kind of like almost (laughs) like a costume she's wearing. And she's like, Daddy, will you hold me? And I'm like, Um, hello, you're a nine year old little girl. And then that's whenever it's revealed, you're like, Wait, something's wrong with this. So I love that. And guys, I miss Dark Sky Entertainment. I really miss it. Um, I forget how well their films were um, until yeah. I go back and think about their filmography. I'm like, you know, we really, really were spoiled with like some really fun, high budget style, just like popcorn, hanging out kind of horror films at the time. And they really knocked out of the park, I would say 90% of the time. 
So a shout out to Dark Sky Films. And sadly, I don't think that they're involved in the new one. So we'll see how it goes. But I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well, because I think it's it's very interesting because it's alluded to an orphan about the prequel aspect it could have. And we never really got to see what happened before, like how she got where she is. So, I mean, it could flop. It could be good. I've heard mixed things. Um, we'll have to check it out and see. Yeah. Nice. Mike, Mike, did you end up yeah. watching that, that movie you were talking to me about called 100 Bloody Acres? Started it, but did not finish yet. Um, All right. Well, we'll leave that for next weekend. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, to the point right now, it would be very unfair to rate it or kind of give what I think of it as right now. So definitely, that's definitely a discussion for next week on that. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get started into our battle of 90s slashers, I do have one more movie to talk about. Um, so on the last episode, I reviewed a movie called The Resonator Miskatonic You. And I talked about its potential involvement with the character of Herbert West. So I decided to go ahead and check out the sequel called uh, Beyond the Resonator. And it does introduce the character of Herbert West. And it is, it's basically, it's basically two stories in one. You get a little bit of the sequel to, of The Resonator. And then you also get kind of like a subplot, which is a remake of Reanimator pretty much. Um, where Herbert West's character um, moves into a fraternity house. And he, you know, he looks at the guy and he's like, I know you have a basement. I want to work in your basement. Whatever you do, <laughs> don't come into the basement, no matter what. <laughs> and so he's down there working and he's he's going through all these different serums and he has different colors for different strengths of serum, like a, a really light version was like purple, um, one that's green, one that's blue, one that's red. And he's testing them out on different subjects, whether it be animals or humans. And things don't go well, as you know the story of Reanimator. Now, the guy that plays uh, the Reanimator, or Herbert West character, at first, when he's introduced, I was like, man, he's he's not Jeffrey Combs. Uh, I'm not going to like him because he's not Jeffrey Combs. And it's the only thing I can think of is him playing that role. Um, but he ends up winning you over. He he does a really well, well job at kind of keeping the jeffrey combs tone like the that no no care in the world for anything surrounding him except for what he's doing in his work he he definitely played that really well um overall i really liked him his character as as or as herbert west i thought jeffrey combs obviously does a much better job but uh this guy did a really good job as well um now in this is also a subplot with the sequel of the resonator where the characters from the first film are still trying to figure out how to uh, pretty much get the Resonator working again so that they can stop all those creatures from coming into their realm. And that is... I learned that this is kind of like a miniseries. It was filmed as like a three-part episode miniseries. So we're left at the end of this movie with no conclusion. It just kind of stops in the middle and it says, like, to be continued for the next film. So right now all we got is the introduction of Herbert West's character as he's performing all these different um, kind of medical experiments down in the basement with animals and humans, and then this guy trying to figure out how to stop the resonator from um, making these monsters appear. And then that's pretty much all it is. There's no conclusion to it. But 
overall, it was a really fun movie. I liked it better than I liked the original The Resonator, uh, mainly because of the Herbert West story. Uh, and I think that if he continues on to be the third one, it'll be it'll be really well as a really good movie as well. But I give this one a six point five out of ten. That was right. beyond the resonator. I wonder if they have to get any kind of um, like rights from the studio that owns Reanimator or Stuart Gordon or anyone really regarding Reanimator. I, I well, there's a couple things. Is that company <clears throat> is with the same? It's it's Full Moon, so they have. You know, they, they were the ones that originally worked out and did, you know, Reanimator and stuff like that because they, it, it was, um, I can't remember the company, but they did Empire. Like from Beyond. Empire, yes. They did like From Beyond, the Reanimator, mm-hmm. all those things. So it still lies in that kind of like library, I think. But I believe all that is part of like a Lovecraftian story mm-hmm. that I think they have the rights to be able to do those characters without actually using the movie like the reanimator you know the reanimator is a title they can't use so mm-hmm. mm. yeah i would imagine it's probably like something with just using it as an hp lovecraft kind of you know story not necessarily like a reanimator story that's probably how they get herbert west to be able to just use the name instead but i was just kind of yeah. curious i wondered if um like Stuart gordon even knew that they were making this or anything like that or if they had any kind of input to it it's kind of interesting because it sounds like the the series that they're making is pretty solid from what you're saying so yeah. it's kind of well, cool to one, be able to this see this one it. came out this one came out this year it was 2022 um so i can't remember how long ago Stuart gordon passed but uh yeah he would have never been involved with these because these were made after his passing so mm. I have one more movie too, real quick. Um, I wanted to touch on before we get started with Fret Bites. Um, I wanted to mention Men because if anybody here that's listening has watched Men, you guys haven't seen it yet? No, I have not. All right. So I just wanted to briefly mention because I just really, really don't know what the fuck happened on screen when I was watching it. But um, this is A24. Um, it came out this year. And it was, it started out like a very like nice kind of film about recovery and loss and grief and the grieving process. So essentially this um, woman wants a divorce from her husband. Her husband, you know, loves her very much, but is very manipulative and slightly abusive toward her. And it kind of like depicts that throughout the beginning um, through a series of flashbacks. And what happens is he was like, if you ever leave me, I will kill myself. And she was like, well, you better just get started because I'm leaving. And she leaves him. Um, As she's packing up, she looks outside and she sees him fall to his death. She blames herself for this. She has a hard time with this. So she decides to try to heal. And she goes to a like English cottage, like not, it's not even a cottage, it's more like a mansion, but it's very, very like old school English. It has the like, baby grand piano, has like the beautiful topiaries on the outside. It's this like really nice home. And you guys know, like, how some horror movies, the location itself kind of becomes a character. <clears throat> they kind of felt like that. Um, this house had a lot of you know different rooms, a lot of different kind of like creepy aspects to it. You really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and there's a lot to say about what's going to happen. I'm not going to touch on all of it, but I am going to say something that I, I caught from it was every person that watches this in the audience or however you watch it, 
is going to get a different experience of kind of like how the film is so the film i watch and the the themes and the ideas that i get from it would be different from what anybody else would because there's multi-faceted concepts and ideas throughout and the director um i was watching an interview with him and he actually said this was intentional that he didn't have necessarily a very like hard kind of like plot point that he wanted to hit and this is the guy who directed ex machina alex garland and Ex Machina was great. I love Ex Machina to death. But this film was very, very different from that. It was not sci-fi. It was not horror. It wasn't really necessarily any kind of genre that I can think of besides psychological. But essentially, there's a weird, there's a weird naked man. There's a birthing scene. There is like some weird ass like stalking scenes um it kind of is like a social commentary as well it's just so much to go on to but the problem is is that it lost its way it was sloppy it was executed poorly and with those three things said there was a lot of good to say about it as well i mean it was beautifully shot the characters themselves acted their heart out like the the main two um people i forgot who was i forgot who the actors were but they were like english actors um, the guy actually played like six different characters from six different backgrounds on set. And he was the only male actor pretty much in the film to play a role. And he had to do all these different roles. So it was really interesting. And they shot it right at the heart of the pandemic too. So that was very hard for them because it was very, you know, obviously reclusive. You can't really go together and collaborate like normal. So that kind of added to this kind of, weird filling aspect that the film kind of gives off but um i'm curious um what you guys think about it so anybody listening that's watched it if you want to chat men definitely like reach out because i am curious to see what you thought um i personally would probably give it right in the middle of five out of ten i don't think it was great i don't think it was bad i think that there might be times i think it's better sometimes i think it's worse it's really hard to say, but um, I think that's a pretty fair reading for it. And I really want you guys to watch it too, Chris and Mike, because I yeah. think that I want to see what you guys have to think about this. Because the last 30 minutes, you won't even like, it's just bonkers. And it has so many different meanings behind it too. So I'm, I'm curious of what you guys get from that. So that is Men, Alex Garland. That's a 24 don't check it out check it out i don't know okay i'm done (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody it is almost time for the very first edition of the fright fights podcast battle of 90 slashers what we're going to do here is we're going to spin a wheel that's going to either give us positive points or negative points toward our films for the outcome. So after we review each one of our choices, we are going to give a rating. And based off this spin, we are either going to add points or remove points from our ratings to see which film is the winner. So it's not only going to be just our points that gives the film its victory, it'll be fate of the will as well. So right now we're going to introduce our films and see what kind of point base we are going to get with it as well. So I guess I will go first 
My choice for 90 slasher battle is the 1995 film directed by Jeff Burr, Night of the Scarecrow. Tyler, spin that wheel for me, please. Whoop, whoop. The fear will. <laughs> and I get one point. <laughs> one point. So <laughs> whatever my rating ends up being from all three of us put, uh, put together, I will add one additional point to it. So oh, that is, that's good for me. All right. All right. Um, Mike, uh, introduce your film and spin that wheel. My film was Pledge Night. Um, it was a college frat hazing their new pledges during what they call Hell Week. Um, so, wow, I don't even know really where to go from this. There was so much, but. Um, uh, go ahead and spin that wheel for us first. Let's spin it. How do I spin it? All right, oh, here it. we go. Here we go. There we go. Oh my oh, god. Oh you son of a bitch. That's it. Literally. What can I, what, I'm sorry. What can I say? I'm sorry. The worst film. Ten points. <laughs> you're get ten ten points. points. Oh Sometimes god. if you're not first, you're worst, man. I tell you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm leaving the call. I'm done. Honestly, that my such an underrated I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, by far the worst film, but uh, I'll take 10 points, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, you lucky son of a bitch. I'm I, will, uh, I swear, right. man, you know, my no, back hurts. I tell you what. No, my luck. Let's see what happens to mine. Oh, Jesus. So, my right, film you- is a 1991 slasher film. Um, it's called Body Parts, directed by Eric Red. And I'm going to spin the wheel. Seven Seven points. (laughs) So Chris has earned one extra point. (sighs) Mike has earned ten extra points. (laughs) Pledge nice. And then I've earned seven extra points. So I think we all know who's gonna win now. Oh yeah. (laughs) I I cannot believe okay. Okay. All right, here we go. So Chris, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about your film to start us off? All right, guys. So, Night of the Scarecrow, 1995, uh, directed by Jeff Burr. Uh, it's about a group of kids who accidentally set free the spirit of a warlock uh, that was imprisoned or entombed on the farm property years and years before. Um, the warlock ghost possesses a scarecrow. The scarecrow goes on a killing spree, killing off all the descendants of the family that kind of entombed him in the prior years. And it is up to a group of people to kind of stop the Scarecrow from taking over and getting back the demonic book that will set him free for eternity to start killing for as long as he wants to. Um, one thing that I notice about this movie, which you guys probably notice this too, is the Scarecrow himself, when he when he's talking, he always does this thing. Like he's going around killing people, but he's asking them for his book back. So he's going, give me back my book. And it reminded me of Creepshow with uh, the segment where it's the, 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 the give me my cake, my birthday cake. You know what I'm talking about? Where like the, the zombie is like, <laughs> give me my cake. 
Uh, that's yeah. what it reminded me of a lot. So one thing I remember, uh, I, I watched this movie as a kid, and I really, really loved it. Um, haven't seen it in a long time, but the one thing about it is the gore effects is actually really, really well done. And I was thinking I was going to go into this thinking that the movie was really, really cheesy and really bad um, based off my memory and stuff. But no, it was actually really good effects. It was well done. They were really gory, um, very realistic, actually. There's a couple scenes where uh, – or there's one scene where this guy gets – I'm not sure, like, what kind of farming equipment is, but it's one of those things that, like, pledges out the uh, the, the, the corn stalks and stuff like that. It's got the – it's like a big wheel that, like, whenever you turn it on, it spins really, really fast back and forth. Um, and he gets uh, pushed into that by the scarecrow while it's turned on, and it shows it, like, going into his back and, like, crumbling his body up and stuff and it was really well done and i was very surprised by how well the core effects were um now i know that we're doing a review and everything on this but i do want to tell a story about this because one reason why i love this movie so much is kind of like my history involvement with the director of jeff burr so back back in the day uh we're talking like mid 2000s um I I set out that I wanted to be in the film industry. I wanted to make movies and I wanted to make horror films. And because I really liked Night of the Scarecrow, I reached out to the director, Jeff Burr, and I started talking to him about, about Night of the Scarecrow and I emailed him back and forth. And he actually said that, you know, this is a movie that not anybody ever talks to him about and nobody's ever really said anything about it. And he was very glad to hear somebody mention a positive note on this film and so we exchanged emails back and forth quite a bit and he actually sent me a poster in the mail of night of the scarecrow uh signed by him with a little message on it that talks about uh making the movies and stuff and really really cool and <laughs> this leads into another involvement with 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 jeff burr that i had years later so years later i met up with jeff burr at a movie convention and uh, I, he remembered who I was when I met him. Uh, he remembered talking to me through emails. And so he actually asked me to sit at his table with him for a little bit and talk with him about filmmaking and talk with him about my love for Night of the Scarecrow and everything. And he signed a, a script of Night of the Scarecrow, and he gave the script to me for free. Um, but the, the story this is where it gets interesting is as I'm sitting here talking to, to Jeff Burr, um, a, a couple people walk up and they're wanting to get Jeff's autograph. So being nice and everything, I got up and I kind of stood on the side of the table and I was waiting for them to get done talking to him so that I could sit back down and talk with him again. And lo and behold me, um, I don't know if you know who the guy who plays maniac cop is, but, um, his name is, uh, Robert Zadar, and he was sitting at the table directly next to Jeff Burr, and I'm sitting there staring at Jeff, waiting for him to get done, and Robert Zadar just out of nowhere starts screaming at me, like, <laughs> why are you in my conversations? Why are you listening in on my private phone calls? And I'm like, what is going on? And I don't mean like just talking loudly, but he is yelling at the, in the middle of this convention and uh, Jeff Burr is looking at me like what is he doing like what's going on 
And to the point to where uh, everybody is staring at me at this convention, like I did something wrong. And he's basically blaming me, saying that I am trying to gather information from his private phone call uh, that he's having with his manager about upcoming movie projects. And I had enough of it. So I turned around and I started yelling back at him. I said, I am trying to have a conversation with Jeff Burr. I'm not here to see you. I said, a matter of fact, it doesn't look like there's anybody here to see you. Um, I told him <laughs> that even if there was anything that he was talking to on his uh, film projects with his manager, it's nothing that I would ever be interested in hearing. And he didn't like that. So he started yelling, saying that I needed to go away and I needed to get out of the convention because all I'm doing is, is gathering private information that I shouldn't be hearing. And so I had to get the manager involved at the convention and he was he had to go over and, and talk to him. And like it was this really, really weird story that just it's in my head now because of that. Like, I don't like Robert Zadar, uh, even though he's passed away, but I still don't like him. Uh, but. I did get to meet and sat down and talk with Jeff for a little bit more about the making of, of Night of the Scarecrow afterwards. But I just wanted to throw that in there because this movie always makes you makes me remember uh, the, the Robert Zadar story. So, uh, But back to the movie is um, – it's a really fun movie. It's it's very lighthearted when it comes to the effects and stuff. And, the, and it, it tries to be one of these – cheesy slasher movies with like one-liners like the Freddy Krueger type thing like every time the scarecrow goes to kill somebody he always has to say something to him first um so not only does is he looking for his book but he also has a one-liner just before he kills him uh the one in particular that I'm thinking of is he steps out one time and this guy turns around and sees him and instead of just like saying something funny he just says some random word he goes well hello there and then kills him and it was like what what? Why did he even say that? There was no reason. He says, well, to... hey there. Yeah, he said, well, hey there. Get it? Hey there? <laughs> hey? Oh, my God. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what he means. That's, that was one part of the movie. Up. I literally said, I, I could not stop laughing. I was like, wait, is this intentional or was this not intentional? Because it was he was like popped out of the hay right before he kills him. He's like, well, hey, hey there. And I was That's like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's pretty that, clever right there. You know what? I thought it was stupid, but now I like it. <laughs> I do too. That's my rating that's went catchy. up by at least my rating went up by at least ten points. At least twenty points, right? <laughs> In fact, uh, we're gonna stop right now. Chris has won. That is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that hands down. Over. I have a question, so, Chris. Yeah. Do you think Robert Zadar likes Night of the Scarecrow? I think Robert Zadar can crawl out of his crypt and fuck himself. <laughs> I'm dead. Oh, God. No, he See, is. He's <laughs> that is great. Um, but yeah, I've always loved the movie. I, I think it's one of the better 90s slasher films. It's it's made with with heart. Uh, it's made with somebody who really wants to make movies and, and show off their writing and directing skills and everything. And uh, I think Jeff Burr has always had that momentum going into every single movie that he's made. And I think this movie highlighted his love for making films. Um, with all that said, I, I know I have a little bit more of love for it than you guys do because of my history with it. But I give this movie, uh, I give it a seven out of 10. All right. So for me with Night of the Scarecrow, whenever I was watching it, um, I feel like it's the perfect film to really sit down and watch with an audience. Um, 
whenever I was watching it by myself, like we were just talking about a lot of like the comedy moments that was put into it, which I feel like was very, very like carefully placed. It landed, yes, but I feel like it would just be so much fun to watch with audience. Have you ever had the have you ever had the chance to watch with an audience, Chris? Or was it just no, straight I have to not. Was it I think it was straight to video, was it? It was, yes. Okay. Yes. I thought it was a straight to video um nineties film, but I wasn't hundred percent sure if they ever had a screening of it or not. Because I think it would really play well in front of an audience. Um there was one scene in particular and I just want to say it because I don't know exactly what they were trying to do. Because obviously, they they went to this big long monologue about how the crops were failing, and how they basically this this warlock was pretty much granting them a fertile kind of like harvest, and he would be able to have like free reign of this town. Um, but essentially, there's this one scene where well, there's more than one scene really, but he has his like finger. I was hoping you could show someone on this too, Chris, because he has his like finger and he's like the devil seed or something like that. And then he like oh, proceeds. That, that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Like uh, effects wise, like it's, it's a special effects artist showcase really, because he takes his seed um, through his finger <laughs> and he implants it down the woman's throat in the van and it causes like the corn stalks to like wrap around her and like come from inside her out. Um, there's really no po- point to it. It's like, the it devil. It's the seed. Anywhere. I feel like he's like molesting her. <laughs> yeah, because he's like he's moaning the entire time while yeah, he's, he's doing like... it. But but there's really no reason for it because nothing happens. It's not like another scarecrow comes out of her and like starts to kill people as well or it's not like he's hiding in there waiting for the person to come to the van and then he pops out of her and kills him that way it's just it's just a way for them to do a special effect and create a really cool scene and i'm okay with that yeah you know i think honestly okay here's the thing i think night of the scarecrow definitely was one of those films that threw comedy in and i think the devil seed scene was definitely one of the comedic moments would you agree mike what do you think of the devil seed um i was confused i was just waiting for it to pop out of her at some point but <laughs> yes. uh um it just she ate it and that was it you know it's just a kernel <laughs> seed <laughs> it never saw the film again it just uh, um it was really weird um but i i highly highly enjoyed this film shockingly uh I didn't go in with high expectations, which I I didn't with any of these, to be honest with you. Um, but no, if I if you could somehow combine Maniac, Children of the Corn, and Pumpkinhead, you would get Night of the Scarecrow. Um, it's just yeah, that's a really good description of it, actually. <laughs> you know, it, it really is. I mean, like mm-hmm. you have the ch- you have the Children of the Corn, you have the Corn the the rural area maniac and then pumpkin head as the scarecrow. Um, I was really sitting there. And when I was watching it, I love the music in it. I mean, it is your typical nineties. I mean, horror music, uh, the sound effects were, I mean, everything I will say about this movie will two thumbs up. Um, it's, it's your typical, um, the, the, the effects are done well without like computers. I thought, you know, um, the makeup, the the blood, the kill scenes were way above average for that time frame. Um, 
I, I, the only thing that I had a big problem was with, uh, but I, I, Lax and I were talking about this. You know how the scarecrow will just magically pop up anywhere and he can get to any point at any time, just, just showing up. Well, like they were leaving the house and they running to the cop car. Well, you saw the scarecrow running from the house and he hurdles a, hurdles a bush, doesn't run through it. And he almost like stabs the, the, the cop car right before it pulls off. Just small things like that. I pick up on detail because I, I watch movies pretty closely. I thought that was kind of comical. Like, why didn't he just like, you know, magically appear in front of the cop car to preventing them from driving off? But um, I love the ending. Um, the ending was awesome. Uh, it's the the kills were very innovative. Uh, to be honest, the plot is you know hardly original, but it turns out to be just good enough that it works. Um, you know, the film is just. I, I really think it's just a lost treasure for mm. horror scavengers, you know, hunters like us. Um, you guys have obviously seen this before, but I have not. And um, I really think, you know, by watching this, it's kind of like what you said, Tyler. It would be a really good movie to watch with a group of friends. It's comical. It's I, I put it in the mm. category as comic horror, you know, which I am a huge fan of. Um <clears throat> And, and the acting was not done super terrible. It wasn't like, you know, great, but overall, super impressive. Um, I loved it. And I'm going to go out even a little bit more of a stretch. I gave it a 7.4. I loved it. Oh, wow. I really, really liked it. I wasn't that. Uh, well, well, I wasn't see, either. Didn't they um, market it? Didn't like Jeff Burr or somebody in marketing dub that the Scarecrow was scarier than like Pumpkinhead? It, they had something with the marketing. It was like scarier than Pumpkinhead, more gruesome than something. I don't know. It was basically like talking like how it was scarier than Freddy. Pumpkinhead. I got everybody. that out of it. Yeah, Pumpkinhead, Children of the Corn mix. Like it was, it it was done well. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I'm wondering when did um do you guys remember when the actual film Scarecrows came out? I'm wondering if this was like one of those like films that came out as that was like, like 88, response. I think. Yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking that, too. It, right um, before 90. It just like uh, popped in my head that maybe like that's what was kind of going on at that point was they wanted to really make a because it's obviously it's a warlock. It's not yep, a scarecrow. But I think it's really interesting because we see that the warlock was placed inside of a scarecrow. So obviously there was a choice being made. Like, where should we put the spirit of the warlock? And they had a lot of options. They could have obviously possessed somebody in the town. They could have made a, an absolute serial killer out of them. They could have done it in a doll. They chose scarecrow, which I thought was really interesting too. And there's something about scarecrows in movies that I will say kind of is interesting. I don't know. There's something that's like, more nostalgic whenever you watch a film and it has like a scarecrow in it versus just like the evil doll the serial killer it kind of gives something memorable you know what i mean yeah and the entire For time sure. you're watching it you, you keep thinking to yourself Where, where's the wizard of Oz reference where's the wizard of Oz <laughs> reference and then they finally do it if you remember she was like uh, here's your fire scarecrow yes. um whenever she's uh when she's when she lights him on fire uh but the thing that one thing i remember too is the scarecrow's bones is kept inside of like this little tiny box. And at one yeah. point she is, she drops the box and the scarecrow like freaks out, like it's hurting it. 
like anytime the box is being hit. So she starts hitting it against the ground and it, you know, it gets hurt every single time. And then later on, when she's trying to run, she, the scarecrow hits her and she falls and the box hits the ground, but the scarecrow doesn't react to it. It was like a little bit of continuity error there. It kind of bothered me, but um, <laughs> I still really liked it. What, what was your rating on that, Tyler? All right. So for that scarecrow, I'd probably say five out of 10. Solid word in the middle. Hey, All right. So I got, <laughs> I got a seven, seven point, seven point four. Mike's making up like random numbers here. <laughs> I, I I like the points. I like the points. It, it can it can make or break something. And you got a five, so it is uh, nineteen point four uh, plus one for my will spin. So I have twenty point four. That's my score right now. So far, I'm winning. All right, 20.4. I'm going to make a note of that, and I will hold you to it. <laughs> 20.4. 20. 20.4 going to Chris. All right. Mike, what you got for us this week? So, guys, I watched a horror slash – honestly, I don't even know what I watched. No, um, <laughs> it, it's called – it's called Pledge Night. Uh, I think it uh, came out in 88, 1988, um, which I don't know how we picked that up because they were supposed to watch 90s. But uh, anyways, we'll roll with it. It's well, a college- here, here's the thing. Here's the thing, mm-hmm. Mike, is I looked into this, too, because when you chose this movie, um, I, I kept seeing it pop up in like listings of 90s slasher films. Yeah. Um, so the, the film was made in 1988. But it was never actually released until 1990. Okay, so makes that's sense the now, that's the official release date. So mm-hmm. it's an 88 film, but it was released in 90. So I, I was okay with including it in the 90 slasher film. So cool, little fun fact there. I did not know. Yeah, um, something that's actually something I was going to even mention too on my review was it's like how I would describe the entire thing is like it's the most 80s 90s film you'll ever watch <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, like literally yeah. it feels like an 80s film yeah and when so, it, I was I saw it was 1990 and I was like wait something about this feels very 80s and then you like yeah. research it a little bit and you're like wait that's because it was made in the 80s anyway yeah. go on I just thought that was crazy. Uh, I'm very curious I'm very curious to see how Mike's going to describe this movie <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, so it's a it's a college town. It's a college frat in the middle of their hazing hazing week. Um, the hazing week is called pretty sure it was called Hell Week. Um, but they in- incur a long deceased ex pledge that was um, I think it was twenty years ago when he pledged. But anyways, it was a it was a pledge gone wrong, basically a prank that they shoved this individual into a bathtub that was supposed to be filled with vinegar, I think like cornflakes and, and coffee, just a mix of crap that he had to like swim, basically lay in. But somebody replaced the vinegar with uh, acid, threw the individual into the tub, ate his skin away, and the individual died. But bringing back into current time during the hell week of the new pledges, <clears throat> Somehow the demon, somehow the demon um, gets summoned. The individual, I forgot his name, uh, the demon. Hold on, I'll find it. I think it was Bill. The guy from Anthrax? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, really, right? But what I got out of this, uh, so the individual comes back and um, starts, starts 
you know, killing people, uh, a demon. But before that, the first half of this movie, I did not mind because there was a pledge that was psychotic or there was something wrong with him that he was, he would, you could hear him from like his, like the top shelf of the, of of the frat house screaming. and, And everybody was like, what the hell's going on with this guy? And then this individual starts, starts to kill people. But I'm going to kind of go back to the beginning of the hazing. I, I don't know what I watched when the hazing, these individuals, it was almost almost like a gay porn. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, the, the, the pledging was seriously a part of the movie that I had to really fast forward because it was awkward. They had individuals <laughs> pick cherries up with their assholes. Um, so <laughs> I... I can't believe I'm saying that's this. my favorite scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I can't believe I'm really saying this, but yeah, it was it, and it, you know, it was almost like a kind of a, a mini porn. There was a lot of nudity in in it of, you know, so if viewers don't let your younger children or teens watch this, um there's, that's the, that's it, the it, thing about this is there even though that there was a lot of like really gay undertones to the film there was a lot of female of straight well. of straight of straight was, yeah straight nudity like it know, was an odd mix it was and honestly that my favorite kill though was the hand out of the toilet that murdered the dude sitting on the toilet to try to get the cherry mm-hmm. out of his ass and uh-huh. uh <laughs> you know um <laughs> But the thoughts at first, it plays like a gonzo slasher horror, you know, kind of, you know, it's edgy, it, it's it's comical, it is kind of a gay slash porn, you know, uh, mixed with hazing. But it's safe to say, like, after watching this, like, the cheesy stuff that, um, I call it, it's an ass-happy horror film. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, but... To be fair, I think it had potential. Um, it, it definitely had potential. They, it was low budget, you could tell. I think there was only two places, that two filming areas, and one frat house, and then they ran across the street. I think it, it might have been the same house, to be honest with you, and acted like they were running over to another pledge house or another frat house to call the police. Um, it it was very low budget. It was shot very badly. Uh, the acting was horrible. Um, the plot itself was awful. The, the, the demon, the, the, the pledge that came back to life was kind of like a knockoff wish Freddy Krueger. Um, I felt, you know, so overall, I was really happy to see this end. Um, the ending was just, it, the movie seemed long, even though the movie was only, I think, an hour and like 25 minutes. Uh, it seemed very long. Um, the music, like, I'm a, I'm a huge sucker for 80s and 90s horror music. The music was awful. Um, so I, I was trying to find the best out of any of this. First half of the movie was a lot better than the second half of the movie. Uh, the, poten- the potential was there. Uh, you just like the cherry scene with the asshole. <laughs> I did. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, and I I'm have sure. to say, I, I want to say that I feel like the thing is, is like we talk about how it's kind of like horribly acted and like it's kind of like a little kind of. Were they off. aiming for that? 
Yeah. Exactly. But here's the thing. I think what happened was we had a group of people who wanted to make that kind of like 80s kind of like comedy, almost like in the in the theme of like an animal house. Or I don't know, something like that. And they wanted to like have like something funny because what it was, was like the first half of the movie was like hilarious. Right. It was supposed to be funny. Yeah. It was, you could see how they were going for like, yeah, I know it's it's a kind of a college kind of fraternity and then the second half goes into much, much deeper, darker horror tones. So there's like a tonal shift here from like one movie that we're watching and it goes completely in the other direction. So to me, yeah. I'm like, well, it is uncomfortable to watch, but I feel like at the same time, what translated to us as kind of like very like gay undertones, I feel like they were just trying to make something that was like funny, but it didn't work. Like it, they just completely failed at that. No, yeah. I, I agree with that. So there, there was a scene that lasted five to ten minutes. That individuals were just running in, in and out of hallways or through hallways, in and out of doors, and like nothing happened. Um, there weren't like really any kills. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of pointless, pointless um, things that it's happened. Like, <laughs> those scenes are kind of like in those Scooby Doo episodes where the yeah, villains yeah. are chasing the the Scooby gang around. And they're running from room to room, door to door. They pop up from different places. And then it doesn't, like, they never get caught. That's kind of like what happens in this movie. Yeah, pretty pretty much. But, you know, after everything was said, everything said and done, like, obviously, it was, it was a very bad movie. Um, it didn't even hit the comedy side to me. Um, it just hit more of a raunchy, low-budget effortless porno i guess <laughs> um i really like the, I mean, I like the last 15 minutes so i will defend it with i think that the first like 70 minutes sucked and the last 15 minutes to me really i don't know something about it kicked in and i just really kind of dug that final shot like the final like shot with the whole entire i don't what was it basically um they were in the front and he was it stabs he stabbed something i don't know you guys know what I'm talking about. Help me out because yeah, no, no, that seems yeah. beautifully done. I thought I don't know why I completely like just lost it in my head, but yeah, it's it it's like two movies together. You get the first half, like you were discussing, a very detailed um, description of like an a, a animal yeah. house type movie. Yeah, it's like yeah, a goofy it, uh, '80s comedy. Like a goofball. Yeah, and then from that point on, whenever the demon or whatever comes out of the killer's body, uh, it kind of tone changes. It just turns into a cheesy slasher film. And at that point, that's where I liked the the film. I thought that's Mm -hmm. where it picked up, became really interesting and real fun. If they would have taken... Because you get the one guy who's like the fraternity guy who's going around and killing a couple people before the ghost comes out of him. Uh, if you take that part out and just have the demon guy come out at the beginning and take a few of those kills and stretch them across the beginning of those films, like it was every couple minutes, uh, I think you would have had a much better slasher film than what they had. Yeah, I can agree to that. I mean, um, the titles kick ass. I mean, it just sounds great. And the, the poster's not bad either. Yeah. No, you know, it, like I said, it, it had some potential of being an above average i mean comedy horror i guess maybe a slasher but um 
it failed on my part. I it lost my attention and my interest, but my rating would probably be like a maybe a three, three point one, three point two. So I'm gonna give it a three. Oh wow. For me, I think that it is a slasher film having an identity crisis. Um, I would give it a 4 out of 10. So because of the halfway tone switch um, with the straight up cheesy slasher, I enjoyed this a lot more than what I thought I would. Uh, I remember liking it because I seen it a long time ago. But um, I liked it a lot more, like the second half of it, I liked a lot more than what I thought I would. Um, I gave this a 5 out of 10. Hey, I mean, I think that's honestly fair, too. But the thing is, is that honestly, it's not a horrible film. It's just the thing is, is it's not a good enough slasher to be considered a good slasher. It's not a good enough comedy to be considered a good comedy. But the fact that they was able to take both subgenres, put them together and somehow make them work. And then they also put some like, you know, they put anthrax in there. So that was appealing to that. And overall, it's just like, while it falls flat, there's still a lot to say about what they did with it and it does have that 1980s kind of vibe so i could see how it does go up higher and i I don't know if you guys remember this but it reminds me of something i've seen in the video store i feel like i've seen this film every single time i used to go to my local video store as a kid it was always there do you guys remember that yeah i it was always there but i I never rented it never never picked it up yeah but just like that the artwork itself was enough to like kind of like draw me in because it, it was really a staple and kind of like the video store artwork because you know you always browse the the halls looking at all the types of films they have and you pretty much just gamble based off of the artwork so for me i think pledge night was one of those staples that you would look at and just gamble my parents of course would never in hell <laughs> let me rent it but um, it was still there, and it still kind of felt homey to me. And I think that there is a soft spot for that. So, um, yeah. I mean, I could see how some people would think this is a great film. So that gives you a rating of 12, Mike. But you gained 10 points from the wheel. <laughs> so that is 22. Are you that serious? puts you in first place, Mike. Pledge Night is winning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, uh, oh no matter what, guys, we've all got to get together. We've got to give this one a higher score because we cannot let Pledge Night win. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tyler, you got another thing coming. <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly, people will listen to this and they're like, yeah, the one podcast that said Budget <laughs> is the best 90s slasher. You remember that? What was it? <laughs> they won't yeah. forget us. They won't forget us. Absolutely. All right, Tyler. All right. So my film is a 1991 film by Eric Red um, called Body Parts. And a lot of people really know this film from the um, star, Jeff Fahey. Um, a lot of Jeff Fahey films, he's been in literally... 150 films now it feels like and um, a lot of people really like him um i think he does a killer performance in this it's essentially about a um a doctor that is he teaches college he works with prisoners 
he's on his way to um, speak to one of the prisoners after literally having this intense conversation and is on his way down the road. He sees an axle start shaking from a car. Next thing you know, the axle falls off, hits him. Boom. From the back end, he was struck by a semi-truck. So essentially, they didn't think he made it. His wife was there at the hospital, really upset. Turns out they have a doctor there that comes out. Um, I forgot the doctor's name. Um, let me find it here because I actually have notes um, of the names because I always forget people's name. Uh, Dr. Webb. So Dr. Webb comes out and is actually talking about how they stabilized her husband's condition and they were able to save everything but his arm. Um, obviously, she was really upset by this. And the doctor said, well, there is actually an experimental thing that I can do, a procedure, to where I can get him a donor arm and sew it on limb by limb, like little tiny fragment by fragment, and give him full mobility of his hand. She was like, well, I mean how was it going to work? Kind of had questions. And she was like, there is no time sign the release. So she signs the release and we are followed up by this crazy ass, like gruesome scene, which I was like shocked. They were actually able to play in theaters. Um, it was like super, super gory. And we see this arm be detached from this random person. Um, um, Jeff Fahey's character is looking over literally an absolute just shock. And then he goes out, wakes up, and he's got his arm. Goes to physical therapy, um, goes home. Everything is normal. It's going well. Well, fast forward, he starts showing signs of, like, random aggression. So, like, he's, like, shaving one day, and his kid's there, and he cuts himself, and the kid's, like, showing, like, basically, like, oh, are you okay, Dad? And he's, like, get out of me! He's, like, freaking out. So they're like, what's going on? Well, fast forward, turns out that the arm that was given to him was the arm of a serial killer. What did you guys think of this film? So that um, that scene where it's like a montage of him going through rehabilitation, um, <laughs> for some reason it felt like that arm healed really, really quickly. It did, like, yeah. it did it didn't feel like they cut it. It wasn't like they were like, Oh, two weeks later, three weeks later, one year later. It just, it felt like it was just instantly there and it was already better. No matter like there was no healing process. It was just, the arm was there. He could use it right after he was like out of surgery. It just really felt off. Like didn't feel right. Um, but the movie itself, I had, I'd never seen it. This was the first time view for me, but I had always knew what the movie was. I'd seen the, the the trailer for it long ago and was always interested in seeing it, but just never did take the time to watch it. Um, the opening scene with the car crash was kind of shocking. I didn't expect it to be that good of a scene. Um, very realistic, very, you know, very scary, actually, because uh, that could actually happen in real life. Um, but it's a very slow paced movie. Uh, I will say there's a character in here. Uh, I don't remember the character's name, but it's played by Brad Dorif. And mm -hmm. up until that point, when Brad Dorif comes in, I was really bored with the movie. I, I kind of lost interest. There was nothing really holding the movie together. 
until Brad Dorf character showed up. Um, and that's where things started getting interesting again. Well, to me, um, the director, Eric Red, I was I had heard that name before. And looking back, I was like, you know, he directed he didn't direct. He wrote rather The Hitcher. And he also wrote Near Dark two like really solid films from, you know, the 80s. And this was like his first like really, really big breakout. I think he actually wrote and directed it. Um, so I, I thought that that was really interesting too because I love the Hitcher, and I felt like the Hitcher's and Near Dark's pacing was really good. Like the pacing of the films felt very natural, and this film's like eighty-eight minutes long, and to me it was very lean and very quick. But I agree with you, Chris, that the pacing was awkward. It was like the the thing is is like obviously they made a very quick paced movie almost like reanimator style. Um, they went they went right into it, you know they laid it out and just that's it. But for some reason something about it was edited. I don't know if it was with editing or something, but the editing was kind of like weird with it. It kind of just like was stale at times. Um, but I mean that's I'm trying to say that in the most like uplifting way while it was kind of like awkwardly paced, I did like the things that was going on in the film, but um, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought that was pretty much the biggest takeaway from the editing of it was the fact that it was very 50, 50 with the edit. You made kind of awkward. basically. And Mike, I think this was the first time view for you as well. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was um, honest, honest to God, I never even heard of this movie. So I was really excited to to watch this. Um, kind of piggybacking off of what Chris said, it t- it did start off slow, but I mean after the car the car wreck, the car wreck was very graphical. You know, very. Um, I'm I'm sh- yeah, it was very graphical. Was the car wreck, um, and it just seemed really fast paced. I get it. I guess they only had so long to make this. You know, to condense this movie down, but the repairing of the arm uh, you know it was it was done very fast you know so he had all full mobility with this arm um and then i just want to say if i could get my legs cut off and then put sewn on the new ones i want to dunk like that new guy because i can't dunk a basketball so um no i just thought everything was everything was slow up to about the midway point until they, he met the other individuals with the, the extra body parts that was taken from this serial killer. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it got really good. The movie really picked up pace. Um, It, it was, it was very entertaining. It, I liked the way, um, I I, I mean, I I liked the main actor. I thought he played a very good part. Uh, I I kept looking for Chucky, like the doll to pop up somewhere, but uh, you know, um, yeah, Brad Brad Dorf, when he starts Brad talking, Dorf, all that you can think of it, when, is just like whenever he laughs at like the bar when they were all drinking. I just was like looking for Chucky to be on the bar somewhere, just in the background or something. But um, I mean, it, the movie was done very well. Uh, I was very shocked. First half really slow. Second half. Uh, was done really well. Um, hospital scene where at the end, uh, super graphical, blowing people's heads off, and you know um, how he bust open the glass and he's just shooting the hanging body mm. parts. It, I, I it, it, it was cool. I liked it a lot. 
Um, Man, that car chase scene, that, that, the scene where are the, he hangs up his hands? Yes, 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 yes. That was done intense. Well. Like, I really thought, like, it really felt like they really did that effect where they actually had their hands cuffed together while they were driving those cars. Like, I was, I kept, like, as I was watching the movie, I was like, turn, turn, turn now. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you another Ooh. scene, though, was when, uh, what's his name, got thrown out the window when he got his arm just ripped off his body. Man. Yeah. Yes. Super yeah. intense. That's where you really hear Chucky's voice come out is when he's falling yep. out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Super intense. But um, I really enjoyed the movie. I gave this movie a seven. Um, I really enjoyed it. Well, something really yeah, interesting, that, too, was... That's a fair rating, yeah. I think, I mean, that's that's why I'll go ahead and say it. That's what I gave the film as well, was a 7 out of 10. Um, to me, it was like one of those films that was directed by Stuart Gordon, but also wasn't actually directed by Stuart Gordon. It felt very much like a mix of his work with David Cronenberg with the body horror aspect. So here we have a film that really kind of like is trademarked and piggybacked off of these major works from David Cronenberg of the 80s, the Stuart Gordon films of the 90s. So you can really see a lot of that put into there. Um, and apparently there was a unrated cut. So if you guys think how gory that the film actually came out to be, essentially there's an even more gory version that they've cut for that. They've shot other stuff. And you can I'd only like find it. Yeah, I think it's only on VHS or something. They cut it for the VHS and they took it out afterwards. I'm surprised that we don't have that version available to us today. Um, well, the... actually, the I don't the version that I watched is mm-hmm. a VHS copy. No way. The one so you... that me and Mike, yeah. So no. maybe the one that we watched was that version. I'm not sure. You guys could I... have seen it because the uncut version is only available in older formats. Today's version is not. They've cut out some additional stuff. Ever since yeah, wow. me and Mike but, might have watched because ours was very violent. Like, very. there was a lot of gore in it. Yeah, apparently, um, I was listening to an interview with um, Eric Red, and it was so violent and so gory at the time that Paramount, whenever they was advertising the film, they had found the body parts in Jeffrey Dahmer's like house, and they decided to pull all the advertising and all the ads for body parts off because of that and how gory it wow. was. that's probably why it was toned down later on was because of the trial and stuff so that's really interesting um i thought it was i mean it's it's a i think it's a blast i think it's a very 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 well told story um that is a bit awkward at times but it does well yeah so it, just because of the the slow pace it had at the beginning of it um the only thing that was a little unbelievable in my mind was we're led to believe that the the main villain at the end was the serial killer's head. They literally yeah. decapitated this person and put it on a different body, and then he's going around and gathering up all of the other body parts that they re, kind of reattached to other people. Uh, I just thought that was very, like, I don't know, not believable. Oh, wait, yeah, but... well, wait a minute. I'm not going to interrupt. <laughs> it was a part where he's running, and he has the bottom <laughs> half and his arm. It, it was after the car wreck. And he was running. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like the arms and the legs are like flopping over. He's like dropping the yeah. pieces on the ground. Yeah. Oh, good. It's those moments that kind of uh, make it fun, though, right? It was fun. Yeah. It was a good thing. Yeah, movie. it was fun. Um, but yeah, it was just very unbelievable of that that particular moment. Um, 
But all together, it was very interesting, really gory. I was surprised by all the gore that was in it. Like, like Mike was saying, the, the headshots at the end of it, super gory. Um, I gave it a 6 out of 10. Hey. Right. So yes. that's a, a 20. 20. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got a twenty, and then you how many? You got seven, right? Seven. So I got twenty-seven points, 27. and that means there you I go. Have just won fight fights. Hey, that's right. Hey, I, I just want to say, Pledge Night came in second there, Lex. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? <laughs> the Our best film on, on the planet, literally. <laughs> I'll never eat a cherry the same way again. Exactly. <laughs> well, I do want to say, um, guys, please, 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 if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, please make sure you leave us a rating. Give us some feedback on that. Um, as you guys rate that, that will tell the algorithm that you're liking our stuff and will move us up to where we can continue growing our show. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you follow us as well. YouTube, comment, like, subscribe, interact with us. We're here to talk. We're here to chat. Um, I had a great time doing this episode, so I'm looking forward to the next one, guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Watch you get, like, negative. (laughs) All right, so I get to pick. Before we go, I get to pick the next one, right? Yes, sir. Okay. All right, so I am going... Let's go with a fun direction here. Um, all right, guys. To be continued, we're going to surprise you. We're going to talk about it, and we will see you next time. So without further ado, Not the Scarecrow is better than both those movies. See you guys. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>